Howdy, everyone. We've got an exciting bonus episode of Taxpayer Talks for you today. We recently interviewed Bill Peacock. You may know him. He's the host of the Liberty Cafe podcast, and he's a curator of ExcellentThought.net. We talked about all sorts of fiscal issues facing the state of Texas. We got his thoughts on how, if at all, we can best adjust the state budgeting process, how we should measure whether a budget itself is in fact conservative or not. And then we talked about the potential revival of corporate welfare. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank this you. This is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I am here with Jeremy Kitchen, our executive director, and special guest, Bill Peacock, uh, we are here today uh, to talk about the budget, among other things. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for having me on. And thank you both for all the work you're doing to bring some kind of fiscal sanity to the state of Texas. We appreciate that. But would, could you uh, briefly kind of tell us what you do, uh, your history and uh, involvement with the budget uh, before we kind of get started today? Sure. Uh, I've been working in and around the Texas legislature for many years. And I, I think what well, I've been working on the budget for much of that time. And it was really about 2013 or so when 11 and then 13, when the, the Texas legislature was spending out of control that, that we started at Texas Public Policy Foundation, where I was at that time, uh, developing a, a new methodology for uh, determining how much they were spending and how much spending was increasing because the LBB, the Legislative Budget Board by the 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 governor the government's body was not doing a very good job they the numbers are real but they're kind of not presented very well and so we put together what was known as a conservative texas budget uh, to track actual spending and so i've been doing that ever since and uh, still am engaged in working on the budgets as, as long with uh, energy issues and um, and other things like my own uh, podcast uh, with uh, with the liberty cafe Awesome. Awesome. So uh, really, you know, the, one of the main things we want to talk about today is, uh, if you remember, we had a conversation, what, about a, a year ago when we were talking about our legislative priorities and uh, looking at uh, a, a new metric really is what we were looking for. You know, we, we passed the, the spending limit this last go round. Uh, this is something that TFR was actually founded on back in 2006. Uh, it was finally fully accomplished, uh, I assume, last go round. And so, um, you know, with with inflation where it's at, uh, we're, we were looking at the upcoming budget and just how much, even with that conservative metric, uh, it's going to grow. And so we introduced the, this idea of a frozen budget, which is which came, uh, like I said, from a conversation, just kind of your experience um, uh, dealing with the budgetary process. And so we just kind of want to know your thoughts on um, on the best way to reform the budget. We had talked about, you know, the, the micro level and the difficulties at the micro level uh, reforming the budget with things like zero-based budgeting and individual programs, and then uh, possibly focusing on the budget as a whole, which is the, the route we took. So just kind of want to know the history of, uh, of where you came to your own conclusions on that matter. 
Yeah, well, for a long time, y'all are aware, and most of our listeners are probably aware that the idea of some kind of spending limit on um, on governments has been a, a big issue in um, in conservative circles, and probably the most famous of those was the one that Colorado adopted back up in when was that in the nineteen nineties? I think it was uh, the the the, the the budget of the state could only grow by so much. And I don't, mainly, I think it was probably uh, a percentage target. And, and so, and that actually led to some pretty significant uh, spending restrictions up in Colorado, but then the politicians, even the Republicans got involved and said, well, you know, that doesn't really give us enough room to do our jobs. And so they went in and changed it. Uh, their term and expenditure, uh, their expenditure limit, and then uh, and then it kind of went by the wayside. Well, Texas has had one of those in in place too, but it's always been based on the growth of the economy and the way in the Texas Constitution, and that was judged by uh, the legislature to be uh, the growth of personal income. Well, the po- growth of personal income is much, much, much faster than the actual growth of the economy and individuals income. And so Texas has been fighting for years, conservative Texans have been fighting for years to bring in, bring that down to a lower level, for instance, something like population growth plus inflation. And uh, lo and behold, last session, we finally got that into law, right? Well, what happens as soon as we get that into law, inflation skyrockets, right? And so now if our budget stays at population growth plus, in, plus inflation, it could be going up at 10, 12, 13% a year, right? And so that kind of highlights the games that politicians play with our money because they don't want us to know how much money they're spending and um, they want us you know, they put a spending limit in place and it's really high and then they make it and then they brag about how well they're doing by keeping the spending under the spending limit. And so uh, all that being said, talked with a lot of friends and other people over time, including you guys, and really determined there was two basic ways to deal with this. One is just everybody I know who's a conservative at some level thinks government is too big. And if government is too big already, we shouldn't be going around congratulating on ourselves. Now it's a, it's a necessary step perhaps to getting to where we want to be, but we really shouldn't be too excited about just limiting the growth of government. We ought to stop the growth of government. Actually, we should be cutting government, but let's just take it one step at a time, limiting the growth. The next step I think is stopping the growth of government. So that could be a zero growth uh, government, you could call it, or a liberty budget, whatever you want to call it, that government spending should not grow anymore. And because government's too big already, then they can spend, if they need to spend more money on roads or police or something like that, they can do it, but they can just be cutting out the things they shouldn't be spending money on at all. And so that, that's kind of where I've come to on this um, on this topic. Yeah, that's uh, typically, you know, when we're out speaking, that's one of the first questions I ask uh, the crowds is, hey, who, who thinks government is too big, right? And everyone answers, yes, uh, everyone thinks government's too big. And most lawmakers I talk to, Republican conservative lawmakers especially, uh, will say, yeah, government's too big. So then the question we ask following that is, then why do we allow it to grow at all? 
Uh, I, I would like to know your thoughts on uh, other conservative things like, you know, we get talked to often about like zero-based budgeting uh, or uh, little little improvements we can make to the budgetary process. What are your thoughts on concepts like that that we've been talking about for years and, and the feasibility of them passing? Well, there's nothing wrong with improving the budgeting process. I mean, uh, Matt Schaefer, uh, state representative, is spending a lot of time. You know, he's gotten himself on the Appropriations Committee, which is a thankless task. I'm glad he's on there. I'm glad he's focused on that. But the truth of the matter is, it, it's not the budgeting process that matters. It's how much money they spend. And the whole system, the whole appropriations process is geared towards spending more money. And so if you just improve the budgetary process, make it more efficient, they're going to more efficiently spend more money. Right. And, and you know, here, here's an example of this. So uh, back in 2000, and I think this was nine, maybe, maybe it's 11. It's been a long time anyway. At Texas Public Policy Foundation, we we did an interim project and we put together a spreadsheet with, I can't remember, a million or more cells populated with the entire Texas budget, right? And it was the current budget and it was the past budget from the period before. And then what we thought it should be for this next go around, right? And it, I mean, it was a complex thing. It took tons of interns and all of our staff work, the entire, you know, 17, 18 month um, interim to come up with it. And out of that, we came up with about 60 recommendations for cutting the budget. And I can't remember how much the total amount of cut was. And so out of those 60, we got about uh, 40 of them drafted by members of the Texas House uh, as amendments to the budget that was getting ready to come up on the floor. Out of those 40 that were drafted, they actually brought up on the floor about 15 of them. And out of those 15 that were brought up on the floor, none of them passed. Right. You know, I mean, it was, I'm sorry, about two or three of them passed, right? Two or three of them passed. And, and that was it. But here's the deal is even the two or three that have passed, if you, so that took money out of the budget, but that money didn't go away back to the taxpayers. It just went to another pot. And then the next guy who came up could just take that money and put it back in the budget. And so the, the whole process is designed not to work to our benefit. And so we really need some macro level thing that says, sorry, legislature, this is all the money you get to spend. And we're going to hold you accountable for that. Switching gears, you know, one of the biggest things, uh, one of the biggest drivers, especially going into this next session is property taxes. Bill, in your estimation, why are property taxes so high in Texas, right? We kind of have this, we have this circular firing squad where the state lawmakers get to blame locals, right? Local elected officials and local elected officials who, of course, set the rates, right? Get to blame the state because they keep, quote unquote, bestowing, right? Unfunded mandates and, and stuff on them. What is, you know, we, the taxpayer, are the, are the people ultimately suffering from this circular firing squad. Why are they so high? Well, our, our property taxes are, are high for one very simple reason. Our elected officials want them to be high because if they didn't want them to be high, they wouldn't be high. They're the ones who are in charge. They're the ones who pass the laws. And if they wanted to make them lower, they could do that. 
but they choose not to. You know, they've, what is it, five or six times now since 1997, they have made efforts to lower the property tax burden, but never has it actually worked. Property taxes continue to go up. And, and of course, the, the driver for all this, beyond the obvious thing that the legislature wants them high, is the, is the local spending, because property taxes fund local spending, uh, schools, counties, cities, and special purpose districts. And as long as they keep spending more money, our property taxes will keep going up to fund that. And, and so that's the driver behind it. Uh, on that same note, Bill, um, uh, so, you know, the, the ongoing, you know, major narrative right now for property tax relief, which we, we've actually been pushing and TPPF has been pushing as well, is using this surplus, you know, as much as we can to pay down on property taxes. Uh, there's, you know, there's criticisms of that. Uh, there's a lot of other different groups out there with different ideas of how uh, it would be possible to to eliminate or reduce dramatically property taxes. What are your thoughts on uh, the surplus being used to pay down MNO compression rates? Is that a feasible long-term solution? Or do you have a different idea maybe of how we could uh, implement policy that would do away with property taxes, specifically in the school MNO property tax? Yeah. Well, th there's two things that have to be done to reduce property taxes. One is reduce local spending. It just can't do it otherwise. And the other is to reduce state spending because the, the property tax burden is tremendous. I think uh, I'm probably going to butcher the number, but it's up around $70 billion now. Uh, and, and that's a lot of money. Uh, and, and it's, so it's going to take a little time to get rid of it. You know, some people in the past have floated that we just need to increase the sales tax to bring in that money and just abolish it overnight. But, but if you do that, you're not accomplishing anything. You're just the same spending levels will continue to go on and increase. We're just swapping one big tax for another big tax. So that's not the way to do it. So if you reduce local spending and reduce state spending, all of a sudden you have a surplus at the state level. And you, there already is a surplus. Funding for the state grows by about 10% per biennium. So for instance, if you you don't even have to reduce spending to the state level. Just keep it, let's say you just let it grow 2% in a biennium, 1% a year. And all of a sudden you got this 8% delta that you use to buy down the local property taxes. And if you're keeping, let's say local, let's just say you start with school district spending and get rid of the school property tax, keep their spending growth to 2%. And then all of a sudden over time, and it can be done if you do it that way and, and add a little bit of sales tax on it. Uh, I've run the numbers, um, got a spreadsheet in front of me, as a matter of fact, that you can get rid of it in about eight years with some help from the uh, sales tax. And without the sales tax, it probably is more like a 12 to 16 year project, but it can be done. Obviously, organizations like ours, I think TPPFs, right, is is over, I think, a course of 10 years, right, is what they've uh, proposed. Um, and to be clear, right, like, I don't know, from a TFR perspective, we've never, we get this question a lot, we're not advocating for a particular replacement. I think our position on this, at least in the near term, is that we don't, we, we have surplus dollars, one, and we should definitely, to your point, right, have to cut spending at the local and state level first. Um, and it really should be incumbent on lawmakers or our elected officials generally on the local and state level to have to make the case 
as to why they need right increase in taxation or whatever version of taxation uh, to fund right government uh, to begin with. Obviously, all of those are not insurmountable. That's not the right word, but very uphill battles um, and things. And I think we've seen that. And this kind of leads to the question, Bill, is, you know, we had this kind of reform package in 2019, right, which was allegedly supposed to reform, right, how local elected officials um, set these rates, right, and give or empower voters, um, right, at, at, at thresholds to be able to approve said taxes. But what we see going into this cycle, especially, um, is there's, I know Tim wrote about this, a, a loophole, right? If you will, several loopholes, but one most notably being that they could, they could, they don't necessarily have to go to voters if they uh, set rates as, ahead of a certain time in a certain way. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that maybe not, not intentional, but you know, how do we, how do we, how should lawmakers remedy that going into the next cycle? Well, this goes back to the point that I was making about the budget. Right. The, 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 they will do whatever they need to do to be able to continue to spend our money. And, you know, really, I mean, I, th I think, our, you know, our governor, our lieutenant governor and the Speaker of the House and then the 149 other members of the Texas House and the 31 members of the Texas Senate. I mean, I, I think they've made a decision, whether it's consciously or not, that they'd rather face voters when it comes to local spending than local school district officials and local city government officials, right? It, those guys are more of a pain to legislators than the voters are, right? There's groups like ours who raise our voices, but most voters are just sitting there and reelecting these guys. And, and, and so as long as that keeps going on, uh, they're going to keep spending our money. And, and so, you know, we can try and put all kinds of, you know, mechanisms in place and those kind of things. And I think those are important. It'd be great if we got some kind of constitutional amendment in place or even a law that just says, if, you know, if you have this much money, you have to give so much of it back to the voters and either you can lower property taxes or sales taxes or pick your tax. And then the rest of it and whatever's left, you can spend on new stuff. But, you know, that would be great. But if we can't get that, what we've got sure. to do in the meantime wow. is be conscientious as voters and go look at these people and say, look, you're not doing your job. We're going to find somebody else to do it for you. Um, I'm, I'm sure uh, you've heard the rumors and uh, some have been actually public about it, that uh, leadership specifically in the house uh, feeling has come out and said that he has the desire to renew uh, corporate welfare or specifically chapter 313 abatements in a, in a different form. Um, why are they doing this? They, we, we've heard from both parties, the Democrats and Republicans, that they don't want, the parties themselves do not want these things to exist. So why is leadership uh, wanting to renew these again after they're set to expire, I believe, in December of this year? Yeah, I was able to go up and testify at, at the Capitol, man, I guess about a month ago now. And the, the, the first words out of my mouth were reminding the members of the committee who were there that it was not very long ago that corporate welfare was considered theft in the Texas constitution. There was a, there's a gift clause in the Texas constitution that says the government can't take money from one person and give it to another person. That's called theft. It's corruption. But then in 1987, the legislature passed a constitutional amendment, sent it to the voters and the voters approved that with like 51 point 2% of the vote, something like that. And because of that close vote back in 1987, now the government can take 
our money, individual taxpayers, and give it to Exxon Mobil and and particularly uh, huge renewable energy companies that make billions of dollars around the world, those kinds of things. And so, you know, what I think it, it kind of gets back into this framework we're talking about. What it'll Texas property taxes are really high. Businesses don't like it. And so I think what this corporate welfare does is it allows the legislature to buy off big business and, and so gives them big tax breaks, you know, these, these 313, 312 and other tax breaks, you know, cut their property taxes in half for 10 years and it buys them off. And that's just one constituency that isn't giving them a hard time about high property taxes anymore. And then, you know, they're, they're keeping the schools and the local government governments happy by spending all that money. All of this is done under the guise of quote unquote economic development, right? It allows us to get these kind of pithy 30 second, you know, tweets or 30 word tweets where we get to talk about how Texas is this bastion of, you know, this economic engine for business. We're number one for business and what have you. Do you think we could do that? We could be that without this uh, supposed economic development at the expense of taxpayers? Yeah, well, it it goes to show you if you hang around long enough, some of your ideas get get carried out into the uh, the general broad population. Because when I was at TPPF, we took a campaign to the Texas legislature when three twelve, which is another one of the local tax abatements. So three twelve for the listeners is tax breaks for counties and cities. Three thirteen is tax breaks that school districts can offer right to to the big businesses. And so three twelve was up for renewal back. To, 2019, just like 313 is up, well, was up last session. They didn't renew it. So now they're going to have to create a new program if they want to keep it. But, um, and, and so we said it ought to go away, but if it doesn't go away, at least carve out renewable energy folks, you know, companies from it, because we are really focused on that, but it, it was kind of a tough, tough argument, you know, to, to carry, because we really wanted 312 to go away completely, but we're, particularly with 312, it doesn't face near the opposition that 313 does. And and so we were willing to talk to them about getting rid of uh, just the renewables out of that. Now that didn't work. They, they passed the whole thing again with renewables in it. I think this time with all the opposition from both the left and the right, there's a much better chance that 313 will just go away and never come back. And, and so what I would hate to see is for conservatives to waste that opportunity. I mean, if, if they're saying that they're going to try and get it through by getting rid of uh, renewables as el- eligible for 313, great, let them try that. But let's don't give in to that. You know, I, I think conservatives ought to totally oppose it. I think it's a it's a distinct possibility. I don't know what the odds are 50, 50, something like that, that it can go away, but I'd say go for the whole thing. And if they actually get it through really with or without, I I think we've done our our job on that. And at at this point in time, I just don't think we should surrender on trying to defeat the whole thing. Okay. Well, Hey, listen, Bill, we appreciate you being with us. I want to give you an opportunity to plug your podcast, uh, let everybody know kind of when it comes out and everything before we go. But we thank you very much for being with us. Uh, when when does your podcast come out? Who are you with? And uh, how can people uh, listen to you? Well, great. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, guys. I, I really appreciate it. 
And uh, for folks who want to get a little bit more of uh, some of the things I'm talking and writing about, you can go to texasscorecard.com and, and listen to me on the Liberty Cafe. It comes out a new episode every Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon. You can go listen to it there. We once again appreciate Bill being on the show. Make sure you check out the Liberty Cafe podcast, which you can find at texasscorecard.com, as well as his commentary and research at excellentthought.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.